Before there was greed in the world, success was material free. It had nothing to do with money or possessions or ego. Actually, the highest success of all was a life of peace and survival, fully supported by nature and community. Now we have skyscrapers and airplanes and the internet and so much other magical technology. And all of this is brilliant, but it clouds up our memory of what we actually need to be successful and happy. It's not about outward development. It's about inward development. The definition of success is the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. But what if you push yourself to learn and develop in areas of life that bring you happiness and freedom and purpose? You will become wildly successful without the world ever hearing a peep from you. You can do this in silence. And when it's time... Your silence will roar like a lion for those who need inspiration and motivation and love and want to follow in your divine energetic footsteps. There is a reason that your intuition lights you up with excitement when it comes to your dreams. There is something that needs you just as much as you need it waiting on the other side. The creations need the creator. The creator needs the creations. They come from separate places, but it all comes together like a tornado internally. The universe is sending you energy so that you can unite with this creativeness inside of you and bring it out into the world. Never ignore your intuition. It's the fuel you need to discover your purpose. If you don't seek your magic, you have a 100% chance of never finding it. If you're afraid of your magic and you barely ever pay attention to it, you have a very slim chance of ever finding it. If you never stop seeking You place yourself in the path of becoming your vision. Only your visionary path withholds the gateway to your highest success. How do you visualize it? How do you feel it? How do you bring it in? Resistance Gremlins ain't going to hold your sweet ass back, baby. But you already knew that, though. That's why you're listening to this. I am Heath Armstrong, and this is Never Stop Peaking. It's depressing like a dimple on your butt If you behave, you'll get a nickel you can spend on stuff And in time, you'll get a dime if you impress your boss So you can buy some more stuff just to numb your thoughts You've been a space-driven higgity hunk of me since birth Flying through the universe on a rock called Earth Composed of stardust with an emotional gut Why you letting conformity slam you up the butt? You're not one fucks, two fucks, red fucks, blue fucks You can play duck hunt and wait around for luck Or you can rent a big truck and drive your vision Build a palace to the moon while your schmuck friends piss their pants Get up and dance, rocket ship that booty Take a chance for your freedom, make it milk that booby Cause when the fear attacks, it tries to crack what you're thinking Fuck no, you'll never stop peeking A couple years ago, actually, I mean, it had to have been like Five, maybe five years ago now, I was at a fish festival in the Gorge in Washington. It was the first time I had actually come up to this area in Washington that I live very close to now. I love fish, intricate band, works your brain, incredible. Um, But, you know, we're out camping 
before one of the shows. It's like a weekend thing and you just camp out. And I'd done that a bunch since I was in my teenage days. Uh, usually just weekends of complete, just complete debauchery. It's an, it's just gets out of control. But I remember this, these two girls came into our tent and one of them was topless. Actually, they might've both, been. I don't know. I don't know. One was topless and she had a, a tray of drinks and she basically was giving away, or I guess she was selling titty Caesars. <laughs> and a titty Caesar was, you could pay her $5 and I guess she would give you the drink and then you got to suck on her tit as the chaser. And I remember sitting there thinking like, how do you get to that point? You know, and, and of course there's dudes under the tent that are that are taking that up. And I think the one guy who was like really nervous and he just wanted the drink and didn't want to have anything to do with sucking your tit, she grabbed him after he took the drink off the tray and and kissed him on the mouth. And he was like married or something and had a complete breakdown because of it. This girl's aggressive. Titty Caesar. And it was like I was looking at her with judgment that I shouldn't have had, right? Because maybe she's doing this because it brings her joy. Titty Caesars for everybody. Brings dudes joy, brings girls joy, brings them all joy. Everyone wants a Titty Caesar, right? Um, But I, I saw a reminder for that the other day. And in the middle of it, I was kind of dissecting professionals and amateurs based on Stephen Pressfield's work. And I, I placed myself at that moment in this extreme like rookie amateur category and then was started comparing myself to how I am now if I would have interacted with that how different I would have thought about the situation being able to uh, pull myself out and kind of witness it instead Um, and and not place judgment and just kind of like laugh and be in the moment with it and be like this is amazing for what it is Uh, and and have fully really just fully trust that whatever path she's on is, is incredible. And, um, she'll get to where she needs to go. Cause we're all just walking each other home. Right. And then I started thinking about other things that had happened in the past. Like one time I was in Myrtle beach and like, I think we were still in high school, maybe early college. And my friend money shot and I were driving and some dude was on the side of the road dancing. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe it was just walking and we were the amateur, the immature amateurs that we were, we rolled the window down and, and I yelled, Hey buddy, show me your dick. You know, because we used to yell that at people because there's no really explaining it. And we, we did that. Okay. And this dude for the first time ever me yelling it actually just pulls his dick out and there's all sorts of traffic, man. There's like, there's like, I mean, it's like a dead stopped road. The fact that actually we're in Panama City Beach. It's like the dirtiest place ever. So dirty. There's so many cars. And this guy pulls his dick out because we tell him to. And then immediately a cop comes out of nowhere and just tackles the dude and arrests him. And I'm in the car just like dying, laughing. But like, had I not gotten this thought to yell, show me your dick, that dude's probably not spending the night in jail right? Or getting a charge for exposing himself to the public or whatever. And it shows how collectively we can all kind of affect each other. And on a grander scale, like watching political affairs, 
we all get so down and angry and upset and frustrated. And, and, and it, you know, this types of energy collectively passes to one another. So, of course, leave it to me to bring up Titty Caesars and telling some dude to pull his dick out on the side of the road to collective conscious energy exchanges. But that's how it is. So what happens if we all start thinking like professionals and not so much amateurs? Um, I was reading this passage in The War of Art, which is one of my staples, and I want to read it out loud to you all because I continuously go back to it. And I think about Titty Caesar. I think about dude pulling his dick out. And I think about this guy named Alani who used to milk his nipples in my high school gym class. It was lots of weird stuff. What, what persona were we in these situations? Who was I witnessing them? How was I judging So aspiring artists defeated by resistance share one trait. They all think like amateurs. They have not yet learned to turn pro. The moment an artist turns pro is an, I don't even know how to say this word, but is as epic as the birth of his first child. With one stroke, everything changes. And I can state absolutely that the term of my life can be divided into two parts, before turning pro and after. This is Pressfield, by the way. I'm reading from The War of Art. To be clear, when I say professional, I don't mean doctors and lawyers, those of the professions, quote-unquote. I mean the professional as an ideal, the professional in contrast to the amateur, and consider the differences. The amateur plays for fun. The professional plays for keeps. To the amateur, the game is his avocation. I don't, is that, I don't know how to pronounce that. Because in reality, even though I'm a writer, I have the worst vocabulary skills of all time. And I'm not ashamed of it, okay? Um, <laughs> where was I? Oh, to the pro, it's his vocation. The amateur plays part-time, the professional full-time. The amateur is a weekend warrior. The professional is there seven days a week. The word amateur comes from the Latin root meaning to love. The conventional interpretation is that the amateur pursues his calling out of love while the pro does it for money. But that's not the way that I see it. In my view, the amateur does not love the game enough. If he did, he would not pursue it as a sideline distinct from his real quote-unquote vocation. The professional loves it so much that he dedicates his life to it. He commits to it full-time. And that's what I mean when I say turning pro. Resistance hates it when we turn pro. (laughs) So do you think Titty Caesar turned pro? Do you think... Dude who pulled the dick out on the side of the road turned pro. Do you think the guy that used to milk his nipples in my high school gym class turned pro? We were Maybe there were pros then. Maybe there were pros then. Maybe they're professionals at what they do now, and they were already at that level. I don't know. But think about it from your scale. Think about how what you're doing as an amateur affects the people around you with the energy. Think about what happens when you turn pro and how that affects the energy as well. I have an unbelievable episode today. Yes, I do. A skidamarinkity-dinkity-dink. A skidamarinkity-doo. Heathy Boy has an incredible episode of Never Stop Peeking for you. Liz Sampy. I cannot express 
how big of a fucking badass this girl is. Liz is the women's record holder for the fastest time in the Arizona Trail 750 race, uh, the world's largest single-track bike race that goes from Mexico to Utah. I met her in Indonesia in November of 2018, and she left a permanent inspirational impression on me afterwards. I spent a few hours over breakfast with her in this amazingly haunted weird house uh, with a dropped draw, a dropped jaw, listening to her story, which navigated a path from self-uncertainty, toxic relationships, depression, suicidal thoughts, to a celebrated endurance athlete and holistic performance and rehabilitation coach. How do the waves connect all of that, right? A year later, we are finally reconnecting on this show that you're about to hear to bring uh, the power of her story to the podcast into your pretty little ears and your sexy little ass. From ultra racing, uh, spiritual rebirth, contemplating death, to complete mental and physical breakdowns at 2 o'clock in the morning while crossing a river in the Grand Canyon during a a 750-mile race, basically. And if you go to the show notes at heatharmstrong.com forward slash 27, you're going to be able to watch a video that she posted when she had this breakdown that we talk about in the interview. It's an Instagram video. Uh, We also dissect the power of not only visualizing your dreams, but the power of feeling them while you're visualizing them, which is a remarkably important step to bring them to life. Clearly, out of all the guests that I've had on the show, Liz never stops peaking. But what kind of trauma and shadow work did she have to work through to to create the foundation that supports all of the strength that she now has? Um, Listen to the episode. It has a lot of the answers. And she captured an epic shot of us playing like, uh, I don't know what she called it, like slammy face or squishy face or something before we started this podcast. (laughs) And I posted it on the website as well. So heatharmstrong.com forward slash 27. She is at Eliza Sampy on Instagram. She's also at Vital Motion and her website with all of the badass mountain biking and pack rafting and shit she does all around the world. Uh, she's a sponsored endurance athlete. She's headed to the Himalayans now, which you'll hear about a little bit in the interview. Um, vitalmotionlife.com and the pictures. I don't know if she's like her own photographer or what, but like the pictures are insane. So go check all of that out. And here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stickity stickity riggity dickity beat. Yeah. in indonesia right and it was interesting because you're very you're very subtle in a way in person um it's not like you're just this ball of mass energy all the time like screaming drawing attention to yourself or anything like that and i had a long good breakfast conversation with you do you remember that in the uh the haunted house Mm -hmm, totally the haunted house where and that was, it was an interesting thing because we kind of talked a little bit and 
got to know each other, but mm-hmm. um, went through some of the darker stuff from both of our stories. And when you started yeah. opening up, and I talked to you before that, obviously, and we'd been spending some time together, but you started opening up to your personal story. It like mm-hmm. cracked my head open. I was like, wow. And in, in that story and like the hardships that you've been through, it kind of all creates the foundation for these things that you're doing in life. One being this ultra endurance athlete who's doing remarkable shit. I mean, like insane stuff on paper and paper doesn't even compare to what it actually is in real life with, (laughs) um, you know, the experience and the adventure, but also on the other side of that, your, your whole vital motion life, um, system where you're helping other people with their alchemy, with their rehabilitation. You do a little bit of Reiki. I remember you did Mm -hmm. some Reiki with Kenlin after we had the issue inside the, uh, the weird room in that haunted house. Yeah. God, that was a weird, it was a weird thing. It's a very weird, it's a very weird thing. Um, (laughs) Some spirit engagements, some entity engagements, some things that you look back on and think you could tell the story a million times to people and they're going to think you're crazy. But if you were there, you get it. You know that happened. It's just weird. Um, Mm -hmm. But I got to learn a lot about you, but not even a fraction of what, what you've done up to that point and really what you've done since then. I know you've been just raging on trails mm-hmm. and mountain bikes and skis or rafts or whatever the hell else you've been doing. <laughs> and I've wanted to talk to you on this podcast for a while because you do so many intense things. Um, but every time we were going to connect, you're like, Oh, I'm going to ride my bike from like, you know, Mexico to Utah, or I'm going <laughs> to, I like riding my bike down Mount hood and then getting on a raft and going across the country or something. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> Being somebody who loves outdoor adventure and and nature and things, I have a long way to go. And it's very, I I admire you. I really do. I I admire everything about it because I did get to talk to you about your backstory. And I think I'd like to focus a little bit on getting back into that conversation about how you became this person. Um, I mean, recently, what, earlier this year, you got the women's record for the AZT 750. Mm-hmm. Correct. So you, yeah, that, that was like twelve days, right? Eleven days. Uh, nine, yeah. Well, it took me nine days, eleven hours, and forty-four minutes. And yeah, I broke the record by only two hours. So yeah. Is the seven fifty seven hundred fifty miles? Is that like a general? Yep. Holy fuck. Yeah. So it incl- it's like just like you said, from the Mexico border to the Utah border, and you go the Arizona Trail goes through the Grand Canyon. So at the Grand Canyon, you have to take off your bike and take it apart because it's the national park and you can't have an assembled bike in there. And so I put oh. my frame and both <laughs> my wheels on my backpack and hiked essentially 80 pounds of bicycle and gear through the Grand Canyon after having raced for, you know, seven days. <laughs> yeah. So, and you're pretty, yeah, like was, your frame's pretty funny. small. Yeah, so that's I, like, yeah. And the Grand Canyon's no joke. Like you usually have to get permits to go down into that thing. And then the flash flooding and all of the wild things that can happen down there. Were there any times, I guess, along that journey, which I Mm -hmm. kind of want to talk about that more in depth here in a little bit, but Mm -hmm. felt like you were breaking down or hallucinating. Cause like I can go into the woods for days and there's usually a point where I start hallucinating. (laughs) I can't imagine endurance sports, what that turns into. Yeah. Yeah. So I typically, I do hallucinate in ultra races. Um, I've done, uh, I think four at this point and after like with the sleep deprivation, you know, I try to sleep 
depending on the length of the race, uh, you know, the AZT was longer than, and than any of the other ones I've done. So I tried to sleep like three to four hours every night and that's, it, it works, but it's still not a lot of sleep. Right. And then at the end, the last couple of days I go straight through. So by the time I was in the Grand Canyon and I, I went in at night, I dropped down below the South Rim at like 5 PM and was there all night long in there walking through. Um, I had been going for about 30 something hours straight. Um, or maybe not that at that point, maybe I've been going about 20. So my final push was 42 hours straight with no sleep. And so when you do that, you definitely, I definitely get some pretty good hallucinations going. So I was hearing, I'm, but <laughs> I, I kind of enjoy them. Like I was hearing full albums of music in the Canyon, like in the rivers. I heard this beautiful four woman quartet singing. Um, I saw a mummy sleeping in one of the side canyons, just a nice little mummy curled up sleeping. And I was like, oh, how nice. Wow. You know? <laughs> um, but I did go through a really dark moment in the canyon when actually, and we can, you know, I can get into this now or later, but uh, I had to cross a creek, a raging creek. And I'm actually really afraid of uh, fast moving water. And That's to so cross dangerous. it at night, yeah, to cross it at night, you know, I was, I was doing well at keeping myself really focused and calm as I just trudged through the canyon at, you know, two o'clock in the morning. Um, but when I, my bike and all my gear pulled me over backwards into the creek and that I just, I completely lost, like the wheels came off, you know, <laughs> metaphorically yeah. lost my shit. And I realized some pretty, pretty intense things down at the bottom of that canyon during those moments. And so, you know, I can, we can talk about it now. I can get into it later, but, um, Either way, yeah, it's it was it was some pretty powerful stuff down there in that great. Well, let's go into it. Let's go into that now because we're okay. on the subject. And yeah, why not dive right in? As far as is how deep it it is, it's kind of is. It, so was this in the last the the, the final push that this happened? Yeah, you, yeah, in that final forty two hour push. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like, uh, I'm sure you're familiar. Do you know who Colin O'Brady is? I've heard of him. He's a He's an athlete from Portland, but he does. He's the guy who just trekked across Antarctica first. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, right. and yeah, he he does a lot of different kind of record pursuits. But he also, every time I notice one of his journeys, he's pushing that last like two days straight right. through. And he talks about yep. similar things. It's like that final. I guess even when you're running a half marathon, you do that at the end. You kind of just pick your mm -hmm. speed up and go crazy. Um, mm -hmm. Those are some harsh moments, even in small fractions. So when you're out there in the middle of a canyon by yourself um, mm -hmm. and you're getting wet and you get pulled backwards and you start losing your things. And obviously, if you can't put your if you lose a piece of your bike, you can't put it back together, then you can't finish the race. And it's exactly. be detrimental. But internally, mm -hmm. you had to face yourself right in the will. Um, yeah. And I know you've had a remarkable journey doing that throughout your life. So what, what was mm -hmm. it, what were you battling and what was it tied to? That was a pattern that was maybe trying to break or mm -hmm. take you over or whatever. Yeah. So a little, a little backstory. Um, my very first ultra race was in 2018. I raced the Colorado trail and I was, um, I was in the, in the lead for the women in that race. And I was 35 miles from the finish and my bike broke down and I could not like it, it I couldn't even roll it so my my rear hub basically exploded in my wheel and wow. I couldn't even roll the bike and so I picked it up and literally carried about 60 pounds of bike and gear 
and ran another 13 miles because I thought that I could still win the race, like running, carrying all my stuff. But that race ends on a 18 mile downhill. And so 22 oh. miles from the end, I finally realized there was no way that I was going to hold off the woman in second who could ride her bike downhill with me, you know, like I, I say air quotes around this term running, you know, as much as you can run in bike shoes, carrying all that weight. And so I ended up pulling out 22 miles from the finish of that race. And, and it was, it was heartbreaking because, you know, I'd worked so hard and I'd come so far and, you know, to have to, to have this race ending mechanical failure at the very end was pretty devastating. And what I realized in that race, I didn't actually realize it at the time, but this is so now fast forward to the Arizona trail. Um, so in the Colorado trail, I battled all sorts of body issues. Like, you know, my body broke down because of the sleep deprivation. I had all these pains and I got sick one night and, um, you know, and then the bike breaking down at the end. And it was in the Colorado trail, it was me just pushing through all these obstacles and just suffering and hurting and being in so much pain. And then in the Arizona trail, like, you know, not even a, a full year later, I had a perfect ride and I was literally just in bliss the entire time. And now obviously it's hard because you're, you know, you're riding your bike through this hard terrain all night long, all day, and it's physically challenging, but my body <laughs> performed perfectly. My bike performed perfectly. Everything was great. I felt amazing. Like, you know, I would only stop to sleep at night because I made myself, like I still had tons of energy. And the whole time I was having so much fun out there. <clears throat> and when I got into the canyon and that, that happened, you know, so I'm, I'm down in the canyon and I'm staying so focused and, you know, at that point my feet are hurting, all these things, but I'm just staying focused on moving forward. And I go through this creek and I slip and my, you know, and, I'm, and like you said, I'm tiny, like I'm barely five foot two and I'm like, you know, not even 120 pounds. And so my giant load pulled me backwards into the river and I was trapped. Like I couldn't get my backpack off. And it wasn't, thank goodness, it wasn't super deep where I fell. I kind of fell coming out of it. So I wasn't underwater, like my, I could breathe, you know, but I was panicking and I was struggling to get my bike off my back and, and crawl out from under my load and pull everything up onto the bank of the river. And it was dark and I was alone and, you know, my headlamp had fallen off my head so I couldn't see. Oh. And, and I, you know, I, I pulled everything out of the river and I'm laying beside my load and I just lost it. And I just started sobbing. And I actually, I don't know if you saw this, but I, I pulled out my camera and it's dark. Oh, did you? I did. And it's dark. So you can't really see me, you know, you can see my headlamp and like part of me, but I just started talking to the camera and I don't know why I did this and why I posted it afterwards. Um, oh. I got to find that and watch it. I did not see I'll, this. I'll tag you. Yeah, it was intense. And so essentially what, what I started talking about is that, and this is what I was, what I was realizing when I was laying there is that I, you know, so I was down at the bottom of the Canyon and I was like, I cannot put this load back on my back and walk out of here. I still had to go up the North rim. I wasn't even all the way across the bottom. And so I was like, you know, I was crying and I was like, I'm going to have to take my gear in pieces and I'm going to have to shuttle it up to the North Rim and my race is over. And how am I going to get out of here? I mean, I didn't know how I was going to physically get out of the bottom of that canyon. <clears throat> and as I laid there crying, thinking about the fact that my race was over and I was going to have to, you know, shuttle my gear out of there. 
I just, all of a sudden this flash of insight hit me that I didn't actually believe that I could break the record in the race. And I didn't believe that I was capable of doing something that big. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> and the, like, the reason it was so impactful for me at that point is because, you know, like I'm, I'm really, really good at using my mind to work for me. You know, that's something I've trained as an athlete. That's something I work with my clients with. It's gotten me through so many things in life. But in that moment, I realized that I, I believed that I could finish. I believed that I could do fine, but I was sabotaging myself because I was going for this big record. And deep down, I didn't believe I was capable of doing something that big. So you didn't and believe that, it. You kind of realized that you internally weren't believing that about yourself from the yeah. beginning, not yeah. just in that moment, but like from the start, you were putting that yeah. kind of deep down and not you know, ignoring it or whatever you want to call it, but it came up. Huh. Uh -huh. It did. And I, as <laughs> I laid there, that. yeah, as I laid there, I realized I, you know, I was kind of flashing back through my entire last, you know, like nine days of the race at that point and realizing these little moments where I would find myself ahead of my record splits and I would do something to sabotage it. You know, I'd take too long doing resupply or I'd like, you know, faff around with my bike or something like every time I was on my bike pedaling, and I would hit uh, like a, a split, um, like a waypoint, you know, where I, I knew mm -hmm. what my split was gonna be, I was ahead. And every time I realized that I was getting farther and farther ahead, something would happen or I would do something to, to bring myself back behind. Back to and the so media, these, yeah. Yeah, so these little moments, I was, I was stopping myself, you know, from like reaching my goal. And so in the canyon, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally sabotaging myself. Like, you know, I just, just had this hit that I was doing that, you know? And so that was really huge. And that was just, it was so powerful. And I was, you know, and so I, I was like, okay, I have a decision to make. Um, because I, at that point I was still on record pace and, but the time was ticking away, you know, and I was down in that Canyon for hours. And I finally was like, okay, I am going to pull my shit together and keep going and do my best to get out of this canyon and take the record. Do you, and, um, do you ever get the hint that when you're in these situations and in, in, in that extreme version of life that you're living, like that most people don't experience, it's, it comes to you more apparent because you're in so much solitude in the fast paced world. It's harder to pick up, but like that you are kind of playing a game and that your thoughts are creating the reality around you. And when you do have all that energy and endurance and you do get into a hallucinogenic state where you're seeing mummies or you're kind mm -hmm. of fading in and out of the different realms or dimensions oh, yeah. that you want to call that generally happen quite a bit when you're out in nature by yourself. Yeah. Um, yep. Do you ever, do you ever just like sit there in those moments and think, like this, this is, this is the piece of the game. Like I can either be suppressed by this or like you're about to talk about, I can kind of make a decision to rewire the way that I'm thinking so that now my reality becomes a little bit better for the future mm -hmm. of what I'm moving towards. Um, yeah. Like flow, flow consciousness or exactly. decision -making exactly. intuition, how much yeah. that affects your journey. Yeah, absolutely. And so I've, I work with a lot of visualization as an athlete and I, I walk my clients through it also. And, and, and it doesn't only, as you, as you know, it doesn't only apply to athletic pursuits, it applies to anything. 
And you have to not only visualize the result that you want, you actually have to feel it. And you feel the emotions that you would that you will feel when you achieve the result. And so what I realized was that's the thing I wasn't letting myself do. And that's the same thing that happened in that previous race, the Colorado Trail. Like I would start to visualize myself, you know, crossing the finish line, winning the race, breaking the record. And I'd start to feel the emotions that come with that. And I would cut it off. I would say, nope, I can't think about this. I have to be here now. I have to be in the thing. I can't think about the result. Otherwise, something will go wrong, which is so backwards. It's so backwards. <laughs> it goes against flow and against everything. Um, you know, and so I wasn't letting myself connect with the emotions along that goes along with the result that I actually wanted. Yeah, I was tasting and off. feeling it. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, really, because every time I think about something that I want to become, mm -hmm. um, it is very black and white between if it happens or not based on if I'm sitting and doing my meditational practices where I'm visualizing what it feels like to be in this specific situation in life. Because mm -hmm. you're right, like, I've never broken it down in a sentence like that. But you want to visualize something and you think, oh, visualize it, just like think about what it looks like. But it is all about feeling it. It's not just about mm -hmm. what it looks like. It's like, what does it feel like to be in that life? and living that life and who's around you, like who's supporting you? What are you, know, what are you eating? Mm -hmm. like, what are you wearing? It's all that stuff balled up in mm -hmm. one and it's, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then what are the emotions that come with that feeling? And then bringing your body into it too. So what is physically happening? So kind of another example, I, I like to do, I do a lot of public speaking and um, I just got invited to speak at this big event called Women Outside in March, and I'm going to be doing a talk and then also facilitating an interactive workshop about adventure planning. Um, and, you know, so when, when I, when I visualize the result that I want about with that, you know, I want to have all this impact on people in the way that I, that I like to, you know, I, I visualize how it's going to go. I feel into how it's going to feel to have that impact. And then I actually like walk around, like I visual, I, in my body, I pretend like I'm walking around to these groups of women and, and helping them and teaching them and, you know, just physically getting involved in it. Um, and then, so there, there's a scientific connection between like your body, the cells in your body and your muscles and everything, and then those synapses in your brain. And so when we're moving, when we're exercising um, our body, those synapses in our brain fire at a faster rate and they make that connection between our creativity, our intellect, uh, our intellect, uh, all the things that we use our brain for. Um, and so doing movement, whether it's actually moving in the way that we want to during the thing, or just like going for a walk or a run or a bike ride while we are, you know, doing the visualization, thinking and feeling, it brings all those pieces together. So you have the physical, the intellectual and the emotional all coming together with that. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, it's magic. It really is. It, I, I guess for people that aren't as extreme into that type of thing. A good example for you would be like when you're taking a walk um, and your thoughts start working so much better than they do when you're sitting in a cubicle, essentially. Absolutely. There's a giant yeah, so, scale to how that works with yeah. moving the body and motion and emotion becoming one with each other. Absolutely. So even just on a micro scale. So the other day I was working with a client of mine um, and I do, when I work with clients, I do in-person work and virtual work. <clears throat> and this was a, a virtual session over Zoom video with a client who's an incredible creative and she's a photographer and I'm helping her to bring her work out into the world online. And so 
we were writing, we were working on her like artist statement, right? So what she wants the world to read about her as a creative. And we were sitting there on the video and, you know, she was trying to write it. And then I was trying to help her with the syntax. And there was this one paragraph that neither of us could get. And we were, she had writer's block. I couldn't make sense of it in my brain. I kept reading it over and over and it didn't flow right, but I couldn't figure it out. And I, all of a sudden I got this hit that we needed to move. And I was like, okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to do 10 minutes of movement. And so we got up, we shook our bodies, we shook off the, you know, the stagnant stuck energy, we gave it back into the earth. And then I led her through this, you know, just 10 minute kind of yoga flow, uh, powerful movement flow and bring, you know, we brought in all that fresh energy. And then as soon as we got done moving just for 10 minutes, we came back together and she's like, I got it. And she just <laughs> rattled it off and it was perfect. And we were like, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting how that, I mean, it, physically it works, right? But yeah. even, I know, I know you get this because you do Reiki healing. Mm -hmm. Like you do move energy even without yeah. being like physically endured. Uh, mm -hmm. I've had instances where, I've had like creative blocks like crazy and I could be exercising things and they do help a little bit, but sometimes there's like a really big emotional block somewhere in my body. And I went and saw this, this guy here in Portland. He's actually from Romania. His name's Barbu. He's amazing. And he mm. did craniosacral. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to explain what that is other than it was very it much yeah. a lot like Reiki to me yeah. where I was mm -hmm. on a table and he would like, you know, he put his hands towards me. And this mm -hmm. was when I was in a period of considering, it wasn't that long ago, it was a couple of months ago. I was like really having a hard time the past couple of years with businesses and things mm -hmm. were getting really dark again and depression was coming in really hard and taking over most of my energy. And I was, I was literally looking at bankruptcy papers, like mm -hmm. thinking about, I should just conform to this and do it and like move on and start mm -hmm. my life over and things like that. And mm -hmm. I went and saw this guy and he legitimately just put his hands, you know, he put them on me. And he mm -hmm. would say things like, you're going to feel a little bit of bubbling, right? And then all of a sudden, my stomach felt like it was popping with like carbonation everywhere. And mm. because he was moving energy through the body and like that, as soon as he did that, I was like, oh, like, this isn't bullshit at all. This dude knows what he's doing. Like, yeah. this is interesting. Yeah. And when I left there after an hour of whatever he was doing, he was like, you, you're really easy to work with. Like, I was able to move a lot around. I think you're going to start feeling a little bit differently about the way that you're approaching life. And mm -hmm. since that happened, I mean, I pinpoint this back to that one incident. My entire life has blown open with opportunity for not only creative projects, but abundance and, and turning everything around that was so dark before. My mindset, my flow has mm. been insane. Yeah. And I, I can't think of what else would have been contributing other than the fact that, you know, I'm moving my body physically every day, but also emotionally and internally, I was moving energy around also. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's so perfect. It's like, sometimes we need, sometimes we need help, you know, we need that facilitation of moving stuck energy through your body and out your body. And uh, I mean, I do too. Like I get body work done. I get energy work done, you know, as, as frequently as I can. Do you um, think like, so you have a backstory that's, that gets pretty in depth and I want you to share a little yeah. bit about that because I uh -huh. think it helps quite a bit of people to hear yeah. that. Absolutely. Everybody has this dark closet that it's completely okay to go into. It's part of mm -hmm. you and it's something that we should be proud and love our dragon and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. But I see from my perspective how you've become this 
this magical force that's out there accomplishing all these incredible things, but also helping people in as many ways as possible because you've been able to face that dragon, become friends mm-hmm. with it, build on top of it. Um, if you could go into a little bit about that, that, that history mm-hmm. that you had in your story and how that has built you into the, the amazing person that you are today, uh, mm-hmm. I think it would give a good overview of context of how this stuff works together. Yeah, absolutely. So hmm, let's see where it feels relevant to start <clears throat> from that. Um, I'll go, I'll briefly go into a, a, a very far backstory. Um, so I used to be married. I was with my former um, partner for nine years. Uh, we were only married for three, but together for nine. And we got together when I was really young. I was only 19. And I didn't know who I was at 19. And I was not a strong, confident person at 19. And that kind of started off a long chain of toxic relationships for me, toxic, intimate relationships. And it's not that all of these people are bad people. I've, I've had multiple toxic relationships, Heath, in like in, in 15 years in my adult life. And it's not that they're bad people, but I did not have boundaries when I started out on this path of adult romantic relationships. And because I didn't have firm boundaries, I didn't really teach people how to treat me. And so this relationship, you know, nine years later, and I'll just briefly say, I, when I started racing bikes, it was about six years into that relationship. And racing bikes wow. is what gave me my voice. Yeah. I mean, did you ride, did you mountain bike like casually before that? Or you just oh, started yeah, yeah, doing yeah, yeah. it? In, yeah. Okay. I was like, no, oh. I've been riding since I was 15. Um, but so I started, started actually racing. Okay. Racing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I was in my mid twenties when I started racing. Um, and so racing bikes is what gave me my confidence in my voice. And I finally had something that was mine that I was really good at. And I started growing more confident as a person because I was racing my bike and learning all of these life skills in that environment. And so my ex-husband did not like my racing. And when he, he asked me to stop racing and I told him no. And that was the first time in seven years I had ever told him no. Wow. And that was, that was the beginning of the end <laughs> of our marriage. And, you know, I don't, I don't blame him. Like if you are with somebody for seven years and things are a certain way, and then all of a sudden your partner turns that on its head, like that's hard to deal with, you know? And so we did our best. We went to therapy at the end, we parted ways and, you know, we're both better off for it. But that is essentially the back backstory of, you know, my, my string over time of all these toxic relationships is that I didn't, I didn't have boundaries. I didn't stand up for myself. I didn't even know what my boundaries were. So how can I tell them to other people and hold them if I don't even know what they are for myself? So fast forward many years, um, I ended how, up in- Can I pause you just for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask another question. Uh-huh. How, how did yeah. you, after being in that long of a relationship, how did you take that when it split? Like what happened to your yeah. lifestyle? How did you move <laughs> forward in that moment? Because I, like, I also just got out of a long relationship right before I had met you. We mm-hmm. talked about that at breakfast and mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to transition into. Um, it can be very yeah. dark. And mm-hmm. I think I remember, I could be wrong, but you, I mean, there's, you have been for many years kind of living out of your car, right? And adventuring around. Mm-hmm. How did yep. that get started in the process? Um, and I don't want to interrupt what you're going to move that into your story or anything, but I no, just, it's all, it's all related. Um, yeah. Okay. yeah so at, at the time that was the hardest thing I'd ever been through. So we got divorced when I was 28 years old and we'd been together since I was 19. 
So literally my entire adult life was with this person and, and was built around this person. And, you know, in the, in the end, it was my decision to leave because I just knew I had this deep intuitive knowing that that wasn't my life. Like I wasn't supposed to be living my life in this way for this person. Um, and I felt like I was betraying myself by staying in that marriage where I couldn't be fully expressed. I mean, he didn't, he didn't want me to evolve into who I needed to become. And so when I made that decision, it was the hardest decision I ever made. And I mean, things got so dark that I didn't want to live anymore. And there was a time that I was driving back from my therapy appointment and almost drove my car off a cliff. And in that moment, I stopped, you know, I literally almost jerked my steering wheel and drove my car off a cliff. And then I slammed on the brakes and I was shaking and like heart, you know, hyperventilating. And I was like, oh my God, I almost just killed myself. Like that hit me so hard. And it was amazing for two reasons. One, because I had had a really good friend commit suicide like five years before, and I had never forgiven him for doing that. And in that moment, I was like, I get it. I understand why people get to this place. And so it was beautiful because I finally had empathy for people who are in that spot because I was there myself. And then the second reason it was amazing is because I realized in that next moment that I wanted to live, but I wanted to live a life that I was meant to be living. And so, (laughs) so I, I made a decision right there. I was like, okay, if I'm not driving off of this cliff, I am going forward from this moment and creating exactly the life that I want to live. Not anybody else, me. You should be riding bikes off cliffs. <laughs> exactly. And landing. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. it's kind of a cool metaphor is in, you know, instead of driving off the cliff, you're, you're combating them is like, Hey, I can, you know, we can work together. I'm going to take much more extreme approach, but live mm-hmm. through it and show that cliffs aren't so bad. Right. Yeah, can, totally. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can now fly off the cliff and land gracefully, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because you um, stepped into your powers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that was really the first time that I did that is made that huge decision that if, if I was going to continue to live, which I wanted to, I was going to create a life that I felt inspired by and a life that I felt proud to live because it would be mine. Um, Since since you've been living that style life, Mm -hmm. do you ever, I always look back and think people say that time flies when you're when you're having fun and I really get that in the moment sense, but Mm -hmm. I look back since I was 28 and on 28 is an interesting number. I feel like it pops up a lot with people's transitions. Um, When I was 28, I made a mass transition myself and the last five years, I'm 33 now Uh feels like my whole life. Everything that I remember everything of value, everything of purpose, emotion, meaning, besides some, you know, beautiful and tough childhood experiences that I do remember. There's like this big gap between the time I was like 13 and 28, where I really don't remember much of anything because I don't think other than building, you know, underneath the foundation of what it would become eventually, I don't think there was Mm -hmm. anything really that I was doing purposely that was in alignment with my higher self. Mm-hmm. Do you look back at, since that transition and feel like, you know, your memories are always kind of around that whole, how, how things really do slow down when you're living intensely mm-hmm. more than, yeah. more than up. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, that was almost 10 years ago. I'm 37. And to look back over those 10 years, like in a way I'm like, yeah, I can't believe it's been 10 years since that moment almost, but it, it has gone really slowly. And my, my life design since then has been incredibly intentional. And I think that really give has given me the ability to slow down and savor it. And, you know, in every moment say, okay, like, where do, how do I want to feel? What does that actually look like? And how do I create it? And taking those little baby steps to creation of that has felt yeah. so good and really memorable. Absolutely. How has your relationship with death changed since? Ooh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, I've put myself in a lot of situations where I could physically perish. Um, just with the adventure sports that I do, mm -hmm. I've recently taken up whitewater kayaking, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I'm a big mountain skier. I've skied in a lot of zones where if I fall, things probably wouldn't tickle. Um, you know, the, the things I do on a mountain bike, you know, I've definitely put myself in situations where death is possible. And I don't want to die. I certainly like love breathing. I love oxygen and water and these things, you know. Um, but I don't feel like death is the end necessarily. You know, I definitely believe right. in something after that. I don't know what that is. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a um, religious person, so I don't know what I believe about that. But I certainly am a spiritual person, and I do believe that our soul continues on in some way. Um, and I certainly take precautions to make sure that I keep living in this physical form as long as possible. And at the same time, like, I don't see death as this horrible, bad thing. You know, in a lot of cultures, like death is celebrated, you know, it's, it's the person, their life coming to completion in this lifetime and celebrating that and celebrating their soul going on into another form. And I really connect with, with those cultures where that happens. So. I think there's a couple different angles with death. One being that it's, it's a constant reminder of how glorious it is to be alive. Absolutely. You, it's the only sheer definite reminder that we're going to lose all this at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Or we're going to transition into something, a different version of it or, or whatever it may be. And the other thing is that we just, with the thought of death, it, it's almost like I'm, when I'm creating and stuff, my view that has changed so much in my transition with death is that like, if I were to perish, right, physically mm -hmm. from this world, am I okay with what I've been able to to contribute in service, right. in creation? And as I've kind of expanded through my journey, and I'm sure it's the same with you, the more that I move into this version of like, I'm going to live for 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 being that person that can contribute in that, you know, higher mm -hmm. way, the more I'm okay with thinking like, if I were to die today, I'm pretty happy with who I've become, right? I'm, yes, I'm not regretting anything at this point and I'm doing everything. Mm -hmm. And like, I look at you and I'm like, holy shit, like you make me want to step it up. Right. And I, and I know everyone's different, but just, yeah. you know, you, you kind of stroke that passion for me and, and we all have these people around us that do that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Those are my two like differences in the way that I've kind of started interacting with death as opposed to before when I was 
when I was not living in alignment and I was doing things and working like traditional careers that did nothing for my purpose or passion, I was right. terrified of dying. Yeah. But it's so funny. Cause like you're pretty much living that death in those moments anyways, because you're not living out your potential or what you really want to do. So you oh feel gosh, like you're yeah. dying, but you're totally. so scared of dying. And it's this weird fuckery that it just doesn't make <laughs> any, you know, it, and I think it's all there to push you to make those changes to become you know, more to become what you want. And yeah, it's cool. It's. Yeah, absolutely. It's that's hundred percent resonates with me. And, and I think that is why I'm, you know, okay. Like I don't want to die, but I'm okay with death at this point because, you know, I am living the life I want to now. And and here's another thing that's interesting. Um, I'm actually really allergic to bees, like bees, wasps, hornets. I became allergic. Yeah. Only like five years ago, I developed this allergy and it's pretty scary because every time I get stung by something, I go, I go anaphylactic and that has made death incredibly real recently. Well, especially and, if you're out in the middle of a Canyon or something by yeah, yourself. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Or, or with somebody, I mean, I really, my biggest fear around that is that I will die in the backcountry out there with a partner and they'll have to deal with my carcass, you know? <laughs> uh. um, I, mean, I laugh at, you know, it's like morbid humor, but like, it's true, you know, like that could, that could vary very easily happened to me. And that's made this all even more real. And it's really made myself ask myself, like, am I doing what I really deeply desire to be doing with my life? And I get stung by a bee a couple times a year and it's pretty scary. And it's, it is just this very visceral and very present reminder that I need to be living in alignment 100% of the time. And if I get off track, I need to do things to bring me back on track. Because if I, if I get stung by a hornet in the middle of nowhere and I croak, I want my like last croaks to be gratitude for the life that I've lived and how I've been able to impact my world. Yeah. Yeah. It's and kind of, yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. I mean, I think even <laughs> just getting in a car is another reminder of like, right. Yeah. It, there's, we never, we never know, but mm-hmm. I think it's important to understand that if you, if you are living a life where you do feel like you're so scared of dying. And I think mm-hmm. most of the time that's probably from the, the thought that's deep down inside of you that you really haven't done what you came here to do yet, or you haven't started it. And it scares you because you don't want to die without doing that, that it's yeah. prime time to start making these little baby steps. Like you were talking about earlier to do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I had a pretty big wake up call a couple of years ago, and this is another big like life transition that happened to me, um, where I had this mega realization that I was, I had been for the last, you know, number of years in my adult life, wasting a lot of my energy on these toxic relationships. And, you know, I have so much energy, but like toxic relationships are like my kryptonite, you know, if I've got energy yeah. going into these things, they can't go into anything else. They can't go into creating what I want to create or doing what I want to do or, you know, having the impact that I want to have. And, you know, I've, I've still do all these amazing things and I'm so grateful, but my energy, you know, pr- uh, prior to two years ago was really going into the wrong place. And so really realizing that and, and, drawing those really hard boundaries to keep those things out of my life and recapture all of that energy that I was directing in the wrong place. I mean, that's, that's the same thing. It's like, wow, I could die today and my energy needs to be going to where I want it to go to. So that was another pretty big wake up call. Um, when I, when I went through (laughs) the the PTSD that I I had told you about, that was a 
was a big hello. <laughs> it's have you ever engaged with plant medicine? You know, I have not, and I am super curious about it. I have never really had the opportunity that felt like a hell yes. Um, I certainly right. would. Which if is the important. Opportunity came up. Yeah, exactly. If the opportunity came up and it felt like a hell yes, I would definitely do it. Um, but I haven't had that yet. I feel like I've had similar experiences like during ultra races with, you oh, know, for just sure. food, probably food, even food, hallucination and all that stuff. Um, but I have not had the plant medicine experience yet. Yeah, I'm, I've later today actually of interviewing um, a producer from a documentary called From Shock to Awe, and it's about ayahuasca and MDMA be, mm-hmm. you, basically being used as treatment for PTSD from veterans. Mm-hmm. And I've it, heard of that. The documentary too. is remarkable. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just, yeah, I was just curious. I know ultimately it's the same thing, like plant medicine is nature nature is grounding. Like if you're outside, I've been in situations that are a fraction of what you've experienced, but I've also been like stuck in hailstorms 12 miles deep on a mountain, freezing cold in a rainstorm that I didn't see coming through um, mm-hmm. and gotten to a point where like, I can't move my hands cause they're so cold and I don't know if I'm going to get out. And you do start hallucinating your body's feeling all these weird feelings and mm-hmm. you're seeing things. It's the same type of experience as a plant medicine type thing. You're connecting to nature in its prime form. You're becoming one with it again. You're removing all the boundaries or the, I guess the the blockages that are in between you and nature that we kind of create as humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's just so important to get outside. It really is. Just go kiss the sun. Absolutely. And, and yeah, it's that, you know, that, that illusion of separation that we create as humans that doesn't exist, you know, like there is no separation between, you know, us and the earth and the divine and, and everything. And, we just create this in our mind. And so, you know, that was a huge thing that actually helped me recover from PTSD was connecting to those experiences that I've had in nature. And, you know, going back to the, just my confidence that I know that I can access my intuition, you know, that I, that I trust myself, that I have, you know, support from heaven and earth, you know, all of the things. Um, and just having had those experiences in my life leading up to that point, like I definitely drew on that a lot when I was sitting in the darkness for months on end, um, not knowing when it would end, honestly. (laughs) I'm sure. What's, um, this is an interesting kind of flow synchronicity thing. When we started this interview, I was actually looking at this. So I've been called a lot recently to like Nepal for some reason, lots of different Himalayan type signs have shown up in my life and I Mm -hmm. haven't felt like the right hell yes has happened yet for that but Mm. I did I did did obtain and keep a a note card that just says like Nepal adventures await and it shows big picture of the Himalayas Mm. it's right above the the monitor that I'm using and when you Uh mentioned at the beginning of this that you were getting ready to go there I was staring at it and so it was just this weird moment of like that's like a small world energetic yeah yeah what are you doing out there what are you what are you gonna go do well um i am going with a teammate so i've done i've done expeditions i've done i think six uh kind of major expedition style projects around the world always using a bicycle and typically some other form of of mountain what was the number you said six six yeah yeah six okay yeah so this um this will be another one and so i'm going with a teammate who has done 
um, whitewater kayak expeditions all over the world. And so, you know, my main medium have, uh, is a bicycle and skis. I do a lot of backcountry skiing. And in the last couple of years, I've gotten into uh, whitewater pack rafting, which essentially is like a very whitewater capable inflatable, um, like whitewater kayak that you can yeah. roll up to something about the size of a giant roll of paper towels and put in a backpack or on a bicycle. And so he and I are teaming up and we're basically connecting four major rivers in the Himalayas. So one in Pakistan, one in India and two in Nepal. And we are linking them together via mountain travel on fat tire bikes. So, you know, bikes with four inch tires that can go off trail and on snow and on sand. And so we are carrying all of our gear. We're, we're you know, self-supporting. So we'll, we're stopping in towns and villages to get food. Um, we'll, you know, resupply water from river and snow, and we are traveling between these rivers um, through the Himalayas on bike, and then we will put our bikes onto our pack raft, and then paddle these rivers that are anywhere between 100 and 200 miles long, I believe they're all um, between in that <laughs> when, um, down, so, you know, then we'll come out of the Himalayas on the rivers, and then we'll get back on the bikes, and then we'll ride back up and then go down and up and down and up and down. So yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a really long journey. It's gonna be about two months and uh, you know, we're excited. And you know, there's there's a lot of trepidation around Pakistan, uh, more for a lot of our friends and family than for us. Um, you know, we have really great contacts on the ground in Pakistan. I'm in touch with a woman who's a, a mountain biker over there who lives in Islamabad and she's Pakistani and uh, in touch with a, a mountain guide who's a good friend of some of my good friends here. Um, and we're not we're not doing any guided tour or trip or anything like that, but we do have contacts with these people that you know know the area. Um, but you know we're traveling through an area with a very different culture than ours. And right now there's conflict between Pakistan and India over the Kashmir border. And so, you know there are these things that we are going to need to be mindful of. Um, but you know we're we're traveling with in an area with um, a lot of respect and a lot of kindness and just empathy and. Uh, and yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm really excited. I leave in like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so about the same time I'm going to Africa. I, I feel like yeah. I'm just gonna have to s skip a flight up there and just run across, run along the banks of the rivers naked with some signs <laughs> cheering you on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll. Uh, I do have a what's called a garment in reach, and and I'm not gonna have constant tracking because it's not really the safest for people to know where I am 24 seven, but yeah. um, I will be sending out little pings that, you know, you can click on my link and see exactly where I'm at every so often. So is that yeah. just because people worry they um, watch it too closely or? Well, oh, you mean if, if I do continuous tracking, like people being able, yeah. If, if you're talking about like family being able to watch it and they're worried oh. where you're at or more. So yeah. 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 And it's, it's, well, it, Twofold. So, so sponsors, it is a sponsored trip. So this is a work trip for me. Um, and you know, for sponsors, it's fun for them to be able to share like, Oh, my athlete is right here. You know, she's doing this thing in this yeah. river. Um, so that's, that's one of it, one of the things. And then also for friends and family that either are worried or just curious, you know, like, Oh, I want to see where in the world my daughter is or, you know, my friend is or whatever. So yeah, kind of twofold. And do you, do you put that stuff like, tracking available publicly online for people to see or is it just going out through your sponsors and like people that you know just wondering? um you know i'm actually actually my teammate and i had a conversation about this last night like is it a good idea to put those links on facebook you know on a, on a public forum yeah, i don't know that's um, a good question yeah and and we've we've currently decided no um but what we will do 
for that is when we get into a place where we have access to Wi-Fi, like we will be updating social media. You know, we will say, hey, these are the places we've been and, and this is what we're doing and show some photos. So, you know, there is going to be content creation, uh, real time and check ins as much as possible uh, because it is a sponsored trip. And I want the sponsors to, to really get to share that content um, and then, you know, get friends and family involved. But yeah, we're kind of, we're still in debate over whether it's a good idea to, to publicly post um, a link to where we're at in that <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> you get some creepers following you named Chester. Uh, there might be some, you never Chester, know. Chester, Chester. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think about that in my ultra races too. So, you know, the races I do, you have to have a tracker so that uh, there's a website called trackleaders.com because that's how you track who's in the lead in the race. And, and, you know, some people have their trackers doing 10 minute intervals. And for me, I have mine doing hour intervals because I'm like, eh, like, you know, I don't know. There's some weird people out there. I don't want anybody to know where I am every 10 minutes, you know, like that just doesn't feel like a good idea to me. I kind of like to go a little bit more under the radar. Um, yeah, no, and, there's know, no reason. If somebody Just sees a point and they're, yeah, there's like, you know, oh, she was here an hour ago. Like who knows where I am now, you know? So yeah, yeah I just, you know, and, and I generally like, I'm not a person who moves through the world with a lot of fear, which I, I feel like is, um, is really important, you know, because I have been through some, some pretty challenging things. Um, and, and I feel like it, it would be easy for me or for others who have been through challenging things to, to move through the world with fear and hiding and I certainly don't do that. Um, you know, I, I generally think people are good and I generally think people want to help. Um, and at the same time, I do know that it's important to be, to just be mindful, you know, and just take care of myself. So I'm always kind of balancing those two things. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. What do you think in kind of closing here? I mean, I could talk to you forever. Obviously we need to hang physically in person and just rage. Yeah, totally. but I know. Are there any habits that we haven't talked about that you have in place that kind of are just drawn to your flow that you really can't live without that ultimately maybe contribute to your, your success and your personal development, something that you do, um, you know, ritually that mm -hmm. kind of helps you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So oh, I, have, I have a few, one of my favorites that I'll share, um, is what I call a six minute reset. And it is three minutes of movement and three minutes of meditation. And so I do that whenever I'm feeling like I'm kind of in like that red zone, like I feel, you know, anxious or things are hectic or I feel like I'm overwhelmed and kind of spinning. Um, or, you know, if I'm like trying to create, you know, I'm working on a, a piece, I'm a freelance writer as well, and, you know, I'm blocked or, or whatever it is, I do a pattern interrupt and my six minute reset is three minutes of movement, which I usually put on a song and I, I dance or I do some yoga flow and then three twerk. minutes of meditation. Yeah, totally. Whatever it is, you know, like doing some worm, <laughs> you know, doing some break dance, whatever it is, you know, and then three minutes of meditation or just quiet. So it's like a combination of movement and energy release and then quiet coming back to center. And usually I'll get some, some good insights during that quiet period. So that's kind of my secret weapon is like anytime during the day, um, do that six minute reset. It's, it's, it's so powerful. It sounds so simple, but it's so powerful. If people can just create the habit of doing something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's five minutes of doing like squats and jumping jacks or whatever. It can go a long way. Absolutely. And then the, the mind and the body combination, I think is beautiful there. Mm -hmm. it's really yeah. 
So you're at Eliza Sampy on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, Eliza and Sampy. And then website is vitalmotionlife.com. Yeah, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. And man, kind of just want to come to the Himalayas with you. Could never you keep should. up. I, I could show stalk. up. You totally could keep up. We'd have a I ton of stock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope you do make it over to Nepal at some point, but I mean, Africa is going to be amazing. I'm excited to see your journey up Kilimanjaro. I think that'll be incredible. Um, that's the one that, that our friend Dash climbed as well. Yeah. 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 Dash did it. Uh-huh. Cool. Big yeah. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was on a podcast the other day, readily random with Larry Roberts and, mm-hmm. um, I have had been listening to his show for a little bit and then one day an episode popped up and it was Dash. <laughs> nice. He was yeah. talking about his book. He was, yeah. yeah. You know, he he really got after that whole campaign, oh, chasing the, chasing so the high. Well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What He's a, got what a great a cool, story. What a great guy. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'm it really inspires me to to see all these friends of mine, I mean yourself included, you know, like getting out on podcasts, writing books, just getting out there and just sharing their message. You know, I was looking, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day on my drive where you were just riffing, you know, on your own. And I was like, man, he is just on fire right now. So yeah, I'm <laughs> loving that. <laughs> Something interesting happens when the channel hits, you know, and you just let yeah. it flow. It's kind of like a surrender and mm-hmm. we get that imposter or that fear syndrome before it happens. But if we just let it come out. It's amazing what kind of creations want to come into this world. And they're going to come in regardless of if you're willing to let them or not, they're going to find somebody else to come through if it's not you. Absolutely. You should should, uh, make that relationship good with your creative ideas. Totally. Don't kick the muse out the door before she has a chance to to come in and sit down for a cup of tea. (laughs) I know. Tea, scotch. Totally. Everything. I love scotch. It's winter winter now. So it's scotch season for me. That's my favorite nightcap to like, you know, sit out in my van and, and, you know, talk about the van life. I've been living in my van for five years now and uh, yeah, just like sitting out in my van and playing some guitar, ukulele, sipping on a little cup of scotch, cuddling with my dog, like after a good day in the mountains. Yeah. That's how I like that. That sounds like heaven. And I think the best part about scotch is that you really just need one. Like it, it, it's the more yeah. peaty that you get. It's just like, you just, you don't, you're not, I mean, for me, like who've had an issue with drinking too much in the past, like when I drink scotch, it's like, I don't want to drink the whole bottle. I just want that one. Yeah. Like it's so satisfying and then it's, it's done. And yeah. it's like perfect. perfect. Yeah. And you just like slowly sip and you just get the sensations yeah. as it travels down every part of your body. And it just because like, you like can't drink it fast. It's too, no, it's like, it would just, be terrible. Just, something wrong. Yeah. You can't, it just can't be done. I'm actually yeah. on day 35 right now of complete sobriety. Of Oh, nice. Yeah. I did like this, this liver and gall cleanse and I passed like 300 gallstones. It was really interesting. Oh God. Um, wow. Sounds painful. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't you like the cleanse Good. part of the cleanse is like, it softens everything up. But like what was more insane was just the idea that those were inside of the body and that the majority of people in the millennial generation that grew up eating processed foods also have it. Mm -hmm. Um, And how remarkable I felt since I was able to clear those. So it's been, it's been a really interesting month since I've been back in Portland, but I'm heading out again. And Mm -hmm. after I get down off of Kilimanjaro, I will certainly be partaking in some, some beers 
Yeah, that'll be a good good cause for the celebration. Yeah, and I'll make sure to uh, pour a little out on the the ground to salute you out there in the Himalayas. Nice. And yeah. When are you doing the climb? Do you know the date? December 9th. Okay. Oh, cool. That's about when I'll be crossing the Pakistan India border, like right around that time. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll wave, <laughs> I'll wave in yeah, the uphill yeah. direction. Yeah, mm. for sure. I'll be yeah. watching from the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Mm. Sweet Liz. Well, take care of yourself. And yeah, you too. Let's connect, connect when we get back. I would love to, to hear your stories and yeah, let's chat a little bit more. There's a place called space and it's got the magic. There's a place called space and it's got the balls. There's a place called space and it's got the passion. There's a place called space where we can smash the walls. There's a place called space where we'll face fuck conformity and the chatter of incompetence and slaughtered at birth. In this place called space, we'll build a factory of smells that will assemble with our minds and sell to earth. showing up and sharing this episode with the world because I kind of wanted to keep it for myself. This is Todd, but he's getting all kinky and talking about old Titty Caesar and Milani milking his nipples back in the locker room. I couldn't help but get my clips out and really start going to town on myself. I couldn't get any milk to come out, but you know, got milk? <laughs> Somebody does, I'm sure, and I wouldn't mind getting myself a little milk mustache, if you know what I mean. Ooh, yeah. All the show notes, heatharmstrong.com forward slash 27. Um, if you want to check out the other podcasts, just go to the podcast tab, you silly little goose. And... Leave us a review on iTunes. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna start just telling you to do that so we can get some more donations over to the school and also just, um, yeah, share this with your family and your friends if you think they can handle my kinkiness, and I know that they can. So, if you want to leave a question or comment for the show, it's heatharmstrong.com forward slash voice. I would love to have some of those come through so I could share them with Heath. It would make him very happy and we could get some questions going. And yeah, I hope everyone has a fantastic evening and morning. Yeah. Get yourself some crackers, get yourself some jam, but put the jam on places other than the crackers, if you know what I mean. Huh. Now, I'll talk to you later, toots. Ta-ta.